0: Trademarks owned by Becklas AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City,
1: New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown.
2: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast.
1: John Anik and Kenny Florian. I love them. I can't
2: get enough of them. Let's hear that voice the next.
1: Big job there from Duncan. There are a couple of absolutely self-involved artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian.
0: Done. I think I like Kenny Florian's hat better this week than last. Warner Brothers Discovery. You don't look like a train conductor today.
1: <laughs> kind of. Well, well, a little bad, no. hey, if I got a little pointy, I got the dad hat going on. Yeah. Uh, but uh, and it's a little crooked. God, I look like a tool. All right. Well, anyways, uh, I'm giving up hats, John. That's what I'm doing. Hey, it's great
0: to be here, though, isn't it? It's Wednesday, March 1st. The year is 2023, episode 393 of the Anakin Florian podcast, presented by DraftKings, where you can find full episodes on the YouTube channel, clips on the AF channel. So I'm here in Las Vegas, embedded in this UFC 285 fight week. I'm about to do the drive of shame from the five-star encore to the UFC Host Hotel New York, New York. (laughs) So we're about to downgrade here in a little bit, but there are a few things I want to get to with you off the top. We're scheduled to be joined by Louisiana's finest, Brendan Allen, here after a big main event win in a few minutes. Also pending, Marlon Chido Vera later in the show, but he trains a lot. So uh, hopefully the schedules are aligned there. Also, time permitting, we'll get a few thoughts from Ken Flo on Darren Till's release, but this was something that he asked for. So I'm not sure that we need to read too far into that. I'm wearing the Boston Bruins t-shirt today, Patrice Bergeron. The Boston Bruins last night get outshot 57 to to 20, right? And still win the game 4-3 in
1: overtime. Damn. Tired of snooty wines and their old wine culture? Confused by words like malolactic fermentation? Yeah, we are too. So with 19 Crimes, you can do the fancy schmancy tilt-sip smell routine or don't. 19 Crimes is the rebel of wine and culture telling the stories of rogues and rule breakers who overcame adversities. From convicts banished to Australia to the legendary icon Snoop Dogg himself, 19 Crimes Wine is defiant by nature, bold in character, and always uncompromising. 19 Crimes, the official wine of UFC. Pick up in stores nationwide or online at 19crimes.com. Enjoy responsibly. 2024, Sonoma, California.
0: Allmark makes 54 saves for the best outfit in the NHL right now. So here's your Calgary Flames ticket from last night, Ken Flo. From the win, right? <laughs> always trying to purchase these victories for the uh, the Boston Bruins. We're always getting involved. Always getting involved. Classic. Classic. So I'm watching film in advance of UFC 285, and there's a fighter by the name of Loik Rajabov who is going to make his UFC debut. He fought Housh Manfio under the PFL banner for a million bucks not all that long ago. And I got to say, and I know this, I wrote this to you privately, to which you responded, it's all a blur, and I'm with you on that. It's all a blur. But what an outstanding call by you and Sean O'Connell and Randy Couture, outstanding 25-minute call. Great championship call, Kenny.
1: Thank you, dude. Thank you, dude. Hey, listen, uh, Luik is a beast, man. He is as tough as they come. Uh, one thing's for sure, he's going to be exciting to watch. And, uh, yeah, uh, look, keep an eye out, uh, on him for sure.
0: So he makes his UFC debut. I think, actually, he was going to be on the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, but he ends up making his UFC debut out of Tajikistan, where they really support MMA, which is very yeah. exciting. So uh, we'll see how it goes. Trains under Henry Hooft. And uh, speaking of which, we're very happy to now be joined by uh, a man who is all the rage at present, and rightfully so, back home in Louisiana with his girls, I do believe. The now number 12-ranked UFC middleweight contender. Brennan, all in, Alan. Great to see you, brother. Welcome home. How are you? What's up, brother? I'm good. Hey, number 11. I don't care what those say. The number yeah. 11. All right. Yeah. I mean, I looked it up this morning. I'm trying to do my homework. But, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you beat Andre Muniz, Muniz, however you want to pronounce it. And uh, you submit him no less. So uh Kenny Florian picked you at plus 155. He was very excited to see you cash there, buddy. So <laughs> congratulations, man. You've won four in a row. I actually had the chance to congratulate you at the airport as we sort of passed as you were headed back to South Florida. How long is that drive, by the way, South Florida to Louisiana?
2: It takes me like eleven hours. Yeah. But man, I left at like two AM. I woke up, I slept from like eleven to like one thirty. And I was like, man, I'm not going back to sleep. I was like, screw this. I'm just started driving home. Get on the road. See those girls. Yeah. And I'd imagine,
0: you know, I drove ten hours from Atlanta to South Florida after the Patriots won a Super Bowl. And I'm not necessarily trying to compare that adrenaline rush or that positivity to to winning a mixed martial arts fight. Right. But I'd imagine after a win, that eleven hour drive is is not a huge problem
2: you know so it's kind of funny when i fought uh carl robertson in jacksonville the first event back from covid i literally finished the fight went back to the hotel because i drove from south florida to jacksonville i went back to the hotel i showered i watched you know when chris weidman Weidman, uh, broke his leg with Uriah hall and i literally got in the truck and drove i think it was eight and a half, nine hours. I think it was eight and a half all the way home. I got back at like 6 a.m. I wasn't tired or nothing the whole time. I was just, well, I was literally driving. I don't advise this, but I was driving <laughs> and watching the replay of the fight the whole time.
1: <laughs> There's something about a fight though. Like if, if you win, you're just, you know, just kind of, jacked up on adrenaline and excitement and all that stuff right and then if you lose for me i wouldn't sleep either because that'd be just like replaying it in my Mm -hmm. head like what the hell did i do wrong you know so uh yeah it's a weird feeling after a fight man you definitely have a a lot of energy either way
0: so you get the bonus you get your 21st professional win how old are you 27 28 right now yeah 27, 27. it's amazing it's amazing 21 professional wins so i'm here in las vegas so i don't have like my brendan allen fighter card, right with all of my notes that's why i'm actually asking you your age but it's been an incredible career i think maybe underappreciated up until this point but i know kenny wants to get into the fight so let's talk about it uh rear naked chokes submission win over andre muniz it comes in round three and uh I don't know, man. I just off the top want to say I felt like you handled everything brilliantly during fight week, uh, everything through the post fight press conference. But ultimately, I think our listeners want to hear most about the performance. So, uh, what were your thoughts on the fight relative to uh, your expectations going in?
2: First off, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, it was it was a good experience. Uh, obviously, a lot of things happened as far as like the the short notice main event and things like that. But overall, after like being in the fight, obviously especially you know that it's different being in there versus watching the tape back and uh being in there like i don't know it was kind of like he was a little bit longer maybe than i expected I, i already expected him to be long but like i was already given the warning like the way he holds himself and his stance and things like that make him seem not as long as he is and uh not as like big i know he had broad shoulders long arms but he was skinny so being in there, I already had those heads up, but it's even different when you're in there. So he was like – I think the thing he did best, in my opinion, was when he was against the cage, his his overhand and his right hook looked the same. Like the way he moved his shoulders, the way he rotated looked the same because ultimately I wanted to put him against the cage and look to time. Like if he threw an overhand, I wanted to time with a block and a hook at the same time because I knew he would drop one hand. And um, I can never get the read – to be able to do that I was always nervous like to throw like an uppercut I saw the uppercut was there but I was scared of getting hit with the overhand or a hook or something like that because I couldn't time that so to me that was the best thing he did and other than that watching the fight obviously I knew I was getting hit in the fight but he only ever hit me like here with that little overhook and maybe it's because my hand was a little bit lower um, but it was always off of a, off of a, a little combination. Like he'd throw the left hand and then the hook or he, it was something like awkward. Most of the time he wasn't really flushly hitting me with just the hook by itself. So little things like that, but it's things like that, that I can go back to the drawing board fix. And it makes me want to fight another southpaw, even though all I've been doing is fighting southpaws. But, I hear uh, that a lot, I hear that a lot. Guys want to <laughs>
0: fight lefties when they get into,
2: uh, well, you know, when they figure some things out, that's interesting. Well, yeah, because I mean, I've been, I feel I think if I'm not mistaken, I fought more southpaws in the UFC than, in, than like an orthodox guy. Like I, I know I fought like two years worth of just southpaws. Um, and I don't know, I, I wasn't really thinking too much of striking. Like I, I knew we were going to strike a, a majority of the fight just because I didn't think he could take me down. Um, but I thought my hook would be I would use, utilize my hook more. And I I guess I just didn't, like I was landing it when I threw or maybe I was hesitant, but I know I waited on him sometimes uh, and I shouldn't have, I should have just kept going. Cause when I did go forward and put my combos on, I was landing my right hand, rocked him in the first. And then it was very like accurate. I think at the end of the second, I think, or midway through the second, something like that before the takedown. So it was accurate when I threw it, when I doubled up on my lead hand and threw the right hand, it was, I don't think it missed.
1: So, Brendan, you know, uh, heading into this fight, obviously the narrative around Meniz is, is that he's a phenomenal submission artist, right? He was someone you got to watch out for, this and that. Um, did you have that expectation as well? Like, oh, I got to stay away from his ground game. And then you felt it during the fight? and Because you really dominated on the ground, man. Like, that's where you just kind of ran away with it. Um, was that something you felt during the fight that you decided to kind of just go for?
2: So, my ego... Ha. Was like I'm gonna go out there and jump guard and we're <laughs> gonna see how good he is. Right? My ego said that. My intelligence was like, all right, let's just keep him more striking because there's no way he beats me on the feet. And um, again, I was I was kind of hesitant. And when I let go, it wasn't there. So some, so I, I, obviously, there's some things I, I need to change there and just fix, whether it's mentally or just in there. But ultimately, yeah, when I felt him on the ground in the second, I thought. <sighs> I thought he was going to immediately go like high guard in his arm bar to triangle series. And he just stayed holding and stayed holding. And I, I was creating space a little bit at a time. instead of just going crazy and just trying to, you know, ground and pound. Cause I, I feel I have the best ground and pound, but I have a, a, a certain series that I use, like that I've made for me. And that's my thing. And um, when I felt him do that, I was like, nah, he set me up for something. But then I felt his strength. I felt how he was moving, up, and I was like, "There's, there's no way. Like, there's, there's no way he has anything for me here." Right. So going into the corner, my my coach Daniel Gracie was like, "Look, he has nothing for you. I told you, I told you before. He's not going to be nothing for you on the ground." So then when we come out for the third, obviously, again, I was a little hesitant striking, uh, not hesitant, but I was just waiting for him for some reason instead of letting go. I mean, maybe it's just because of the fact it's like it's a four ounce glove. We weigh probably 200 pounds at that (laughs) point, you know? So uh, I don't know. But um, so I was waiting on him and he was touching me a little bit, but I knew I was touching him back. Uh, But then I was just like, why stay here tit for tat? I want to see really what this ground's like. So I took him down, big takedown. And I felt once I landed inside control, basically, and he, he just kind of like I don't know, not I don't, don't want to say he quit, but it was kind of like you could feel him breaking in a way, you know. It's it's that weird thing in in the fight that you feel. Uh, and once I once I mounted him, I was like, this ain't gonna last. I didn't know the time. Don't get me wrong, I didn't know the time. I didn't know we was had thirty five seconds left when I tapped him, but I knew I was going to create some damage. Before the round was over, but yeah. So to answer your question, yeah, I definitely felt it.
1: Yeah, that you could definitely see that. Um, Brendan, and, and what does a fight like this do for your confidence? Right, certain fights it's going to give you more than others. Right. Uh, is that, I mean cause that, uh, Um, uh, sorry, M- Muniz. There, uh, he was on a tremendous win streak. You know, very highly regarded. Um,
2: what does this do for you moving forward, man? Yeah, I think it definitely helps with the confidence, but for me, this was super important to me personally, this fight, was because people like to say, like, I'm a gatekeeper or I don't really show up when the lights are on, and yeah, that was the case, you know, before, um, like the UFC especially, but um, now I I feel like I've finally overcome that obstacle of, like that talk. And even it was in my head for a while, like, fuck am I, am I going to perform when the lights come back on again, when I get that opportunity. And finally, like, I think this one reassured me like, yeah, it's finally my time. I finally figured it out. I'm finally fighting almost to a hundred percent of my capabilities as far as the guy from the gym and to the, to the cage. So for, for me, it builds a crap ton of confidence, to be honest with you. And yeah, it's, it's a good feeling. It's, it's, it's the, there's not so much more worry of consistency. Like, is that guy who's going to show up per se? So, yeah, I'm just super happy about that. To consistently put the guy in the gym from the gym to the cage or close to that guy two times in a row. And again, I feel it was all the mental, the mental training and the mental work because the physical and the abilities and the technical the technicalities were always there. UFC middleweight
0: contender, Brendan Allen, with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. See, now we can call you a contender. Not that we weren't before, right? But now we can call you a contender with the the nice number next to your name. In terms of managing risk and ego in a fight, right? Because again, nobody argues with your skill set and your ability on any given Saturday night to beat any of these guys, you know? Um, but how do you sort of manage that? And would you fight a guy like Chris
2: Curtis differently if you did get that rematch? Uh, Definitely. I would definitely fight him differently just because of the fact like I'm not an excuse kind of guy. Right. Like he beat me. He was the better man that night. Don't get me wrong. Like and I say this because I know he kind of I think he got his feelings hurt a little bit of my post fight show, Uh even though it wasn't really about him. But, you know, if the shoe fits, then wear it. (laughs) I like Chris Curtis. I even like Sean Strickland now. Like, They come to to our table and we talk with them at the P.I. So I like those guys. Right. As outside of competition. In competition, like yes, I would fight him again. I uh I couldn't even walk the two days before the fight and that had nothing to do with him. So yeah, I couldn't I, I was scared to kick. I couldn't kick, so obviously I would kick more. I would my style would be a lot different just because I would have a full training camp for him, I'd be able to break his tape down better and uh just fully prepare. Like I was preparing for Brad Tavares for eight weeks and then I was preparing for Roman Deliz for one right, week. Right. And then I got him on, what, five or six days? So it's like it was a total 180 kind of scenario. And that's where kind of both of my losses have come from the UFC. They're both short-notice guys that were totally different guys from the normal opponent. And just, I guess, for me and what I've learned about myself is I'm a guy that totally prepares mentally and physically. And not a lot of people know this, but I'm the guy that watches the tape, majoritively. Like, I watch the tape. I give – my coaches, hey, this is what my overall goal is. This is my basically my game plan. Granted, my coaches give me different feedback, and maybe they might tweak some things. But for me, this has always been great for me because I'm the only one that truly knows. Like, hey, I can exploit this in this guy, and um, I'm. My coaches can say, hey, we think you're going to exploit this guy. We think you can do it here, but I'm the only one that truly has the confidence. And the knowledge of exactly what movements I can do. So, um, for me, it's hard to wrap my ha- my head around an opponent when I don't have a full time because it's a roller coaster of emotions for me. I'm confident that I'm not confident that I'm confident that I'm not. Mm. And um, mixing watching tape in there because I'm not a guy that watches it all at once. I'll watch, I'll wait a couple weeks. I'll get into my camp and then I'll watch one fight. I'll study that. I'll wait a couple of days, watch another fight, study that. And then I'll redo all that. So like, it's so complicated for me in my head and how I, how I break things down and how I work my way up to that peak. Uh, I don't know if it's normal for everyone, to be honest, but for me, it's just, uh, that's how it works. Well, it's interesting. And I know I can see from Kenny's reaction that he's interested.
0: And if Brendan Allen sounds like a budding mixed martial arts analyst, he does have television aspirations. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, still got plenty of fight left in the dog in terms of this division. Right. The four names that were on the tip of your tongue after the fight. And again, masterfully handled on a microphone. Uh, number seven, Sean Strickland. Number 14, Chris Curtis. 10th ranked Dracus Dracus Duplessis, who fights Derek Brunson coming up this weekend. Jack Hermanson, who's number nine in the world. I mean, the Hermanson fight to me sounds like the one that makes the most sense. You also have Marvin Vittori and the aforementioned Roman Delizze. So uh, the world is kind of your oyster a little bit. I mean, I think there are a lot of big fights in front of you um, to save a hamster's life. Best guess as to which one of those names you actually get. Hmm. I, I mean, think, you could tell us who you want the most, but I'm curious who ultimately in your heart of hearts, you think promotionally Mick Maynard's going to line you up with.
2: So it, I think it's timeline as always. Like I want to fight again in June. So it's just the fact of like, who's if, if I think if Jack's willing to wait that long, I think that's the fight that kind of makes the most sense, especially since we, they've called me short notice once or twice for him. I think twice. Um, one of those, I wasn't training and I just tore a ligament in my foot. Uh, and then the other one, I don't remember what happened. I think it was weight. I couldn't make the weight on like four days' notice. But um, so oh yeah, that's what it was. I couldn't make the weight. It was uh, when Chris Curtis took him against Hermanson in France. So yeah, right. two times. Right. Um. So yeah, I think that one's realistic. Of course, when I start naming, I'll name anyone because I'm just down to yeah, fight. Like right. obviously. I have nothing to hide as well. So like, I'm trying to slow play a little bit. Like I got my number it's 12, even though it should be 11. So we'll dive into that actually, because please, uh, yeah, I think the rankings are bullcrap. Whoever votes on them is retarded. Like I don't understand how I just beat the number 11 guy. Right. Not only did I beat the number 11 guy, I finished him and I finished him where he's best at. And he was supposedly the dark horse. Nobody wanted to fight him. Apparently. But I went in there and fought him. I finished him. You put me at number 12. You put a guy up a a number coming off of a loss. And that's okay. He lost. It was short notice. I understand that even though ultimately it doesn't matter because it's happened to me. But he lost. He kind of got outclassed. He he didn't get just beat. He got outclassed on a guy by short notice who was just chilling. Right. You know, he wasn't even really training. So... Yeah, I don't get that. Plus, he's four and two in the UFC. I'm nine and two. And right. I fought way better guys. He's only technically fought one guy that was ranked in Edmund Shabazzian, who at the time I think was on a two fight losing streak or three. Right. So <clears throat> this whole thing just doesn't make sense to me. So that's why I say I'm number eleven.
0: So you say, excuse me, that you want to slow play this a little bit. And that sort of flies in the face of previous conversations that you and I have had a little bit. But then why not like the number, right? Like I know for Bilal Muhammad, your good friend, you know, it's all about sort of the positioning. Like, why not? I'm just curious. Get on a mic. And perhaps it's because you want to slow play it a little bit. But be like, hey, Jared Cannoneer, bro, number three in the world. You already fought for the goddamn belt. Didn't go particularly well. Um, How about a main event, right? They like to headline you a lot, right? Like, obviously, you're not trying to, like, fast track into the top three immediately. It's great for the promotion to have a guy like you that's willing to fight all these guys. Um, But
2: Bilal would tell you not to fight Chris Curtis, number 14 in the world. Right. I mean, yeah, it's from it's it's burning off fights on the contract, right? Because the more I burn off, the more money I get paid. And you know, like my fights, this is my first contract at a six fight, and it's not new. Like I think uh, this was my second fight on the contract. So if I burn another one, I got you three. I win another one. That's four. You know, we're kind of looking at, at bigger things, top five at that That fi- that at that point, maybe even close to a belt. So that's where money changes tremendously. That's life-changing money at that time. And don't get yeah. me wrong, I, I do well for myself right now, especially for where I'm at. And uh, you'll never hear me complain about money and things like that because to me, everyone works. If you want more money, fight more and fight better guys, you know. But, um, yeah, I, I, I'm just trying to slow play it for that reason. But don't get me wrong. And everyone who knows me knows if they call me to fight number three in the world, number two in the world, that's who you're going to see me fight. I've never said no to a guy, especially if they're good. Um, Obviously it's nerve wracking, but uh, I enjoy the, the challenge.
0: All right. A couple more things before we let you go. I know you're back home with your family and your daughters. Um, Kenny and I came across a video as we were getting ready to talk to you uh about your brother, James, obviously, back in 2013, the accident in the pool. And, um, you know, you were able to get him out and you started CPR and everything else. But I know that that has been a challenge uh, emotionally and otherwise for you and your family. But, dude, I watched this video of you as such a young man and talking about, you know. You're trying to win a regional belt and then you say if I get the UFC contract, I'm gonna frame that and give it to my brother and his niece. And it's like, man, look at you now. You know, I know you're not at the pinnacle, but um how much have you been able to I know your daughters are young, but how much have you been able to share your success with James and your and your niece?
2: I, I try to do as much as I can. Uh, I give all the you know, like the clothing stuff that we get, the venom, and especially my fight jackets. To me, that's like when they ask for a product back. I never give back my fight jacket um just because i always give that stuff back to my brother like you go over to my brother's house and you'll see him wearing something something venom you know it's it's something (laughs) venom So that means a lot when i won my first lfa belt i framed that one and that's over his bed right now so he has that my first lfa belt and the gloves and pictures from that fight it's framed over his bed and then the second one that i won he ended up doing the same thing back so i have the second one at my house and uh I think the the ultimate reason that I always really really want to fight in Louisiana is one because that's what I claim is home even though I'm not born here uh this is this is my home is Louisiana but the, uh, the main factor is the fact that my brother can't really travel to my fights unless maybe Texas he could but still it's the fact of like you know his showers and stuff at night those shower my brother's a big boy he's he's, he's 6'6 normally and his chair's big and yeah so it's it's a lot and small spaces so it's it's just good for him to be at home but fighting here in louisiana no matter where it is in louisiana is just fine for him to be able to come here and be a part of it and that's kind of something i want to do before i retire so let alone bringing an event a ufc event back to louisiana which i know so many people want really bad yeah here Um, it's more so to have my brother, hopefully I'll do whatever I can to have him, him and my dad walk out with me and, uh, share that experience. And I've always said, win, lose, if that happens, uh, that's something that means more to me than winning a world title, than uh, being number one in the world, the money to me that I can retire at any point after that and be happy with where I went in my career. That's incredible, man. I think you're going to be able to check that box. And honestly, I
0: think, you know, given your status now, you know, you hate to say, man, keep winning fights and you can actually realize that dream. But obviously they are a little bit inexorably linked. I do think right. if Hunter and Dana were made aware of that circumstance, you know, given your status now as contender, I think eventually you're going to be able to check that box. But, hey, man, congratulations, dude. Get back to your girls. And uh, what's it like going home to your wife after a win like this? You know, it's probably pretty special, I would think. <laughs>
2: well uh it's a hell of a time to to kind of break that but we're not really married anymore oh all right yeah but it's okay like we still we're still really good friends we still talk every day all right um but yeah it's still nice though because you get to go back here i get to see my kids and my my oldest one is kind of at that age where she's like a mama's girl and she always has been a mama's girl but she's like oh my mommy but my little one it's all daddy. Like, she isn't that amazing? Me, changes <laughs> and like, she's out right. She's out there right now, and she she fusses because she didn't know where I went. And, uh-huh. uh it's it's a it's a weird time because of my oldest one being like that. But still, like, she'll tell she'll talk to me on the phone when I'm gone, Facetime. And be like, I want my daddy. I want my daddy. Amazing. You get home and she's like, "Leave me alone. Don't talk shit <laughs> You know. Yeah. So, but it's good, man. It's good to just get back home and see them, no matter if they're little brats or not. It's, That's right. Uh, it's good to just go out and go do something with them. And my brother's got a nice pool. So we'll go over there later and nice, man. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a good time. Like uh, that's the best part to me is coming back home and taking a week or two off and just spending every moment I can with them. Yeah, there can be a re-entry, though, with the kids. I remember getting the cold shoulder from my
0: son for a six-month stretch every time I come back from one of these UFC road shows. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it is what it is. All right, Brendan Allen, middleweight contender, uh, number 11 in the world, we'll say. Uh, keep growing sure. the lettuce. Thank you for the time, man. And uh, we will. Uh, we look forward to your next fight, main event or otherwise, man. I think it's going to be a big one. Congrats. Enjoy it with the family. We'll talk to you soon. Congrats, Thank you, man. man. Thank
2: you guys for having me. I
0: appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Our pleasure, buddy. Thank you. Brendan Allen with us here on the Anic. And Florian Podcast, so October 11, 2013, his brother James 6'6", hit his head on the bottom of a pool, and, and Brendan pulled him out. He was, like, blue down to his chest. Brendan started CPR, uh, C4, 5, and 6 damage. C5 was pushed into the spine, and, um, you know, Brendan has gone to great lengths to try to help him. I remember back in the day, Kenny, when we were getting ready to call one of Brendan's early UFC fights, he was talking about making enough money in his fight career, to be able to purchase this chair for his brother and um i know given for you with with your brothers and everything that your siblings have meant to you and mean to you i know that that hit you pretty hard and uh it's a pretty emotional thing for brent good dude
1: right there absolutely man that was an extremely powerful video you sent me i had no idea i had no idea about that story uh, I haven't heard it uh, in, in interviews or anything like that. But, um, you know, that can also be a very uh, motivating and powerful force oh. to drive a fighter and, and to see that. And also, you know, like the level of maturity that Brendan Allen had back then, I think, was really impressive. Uh, him talking about the story and and what it means to him and how he wants to give back um just just really cool and uh brendan allen is he's he's one of the good guys man so it's great to see him back then talking about how he wanted to be in the ufc one day how that was a big dream and to see him now you know coming off that main event win man and establishing himself as one of the top middleweights in the world is yeah it's really cool
0: pretty amazing we got to get that show in louisiana somehow some way for yeah. uh for brendan allen Uh, so Darren Till is no longer with the UFC. This seems sort of a temporary thing. If indeed Darren till returns to fighting, here's the quote from the gorilla himself, what's happening everyone. And obviously this would sound a lot better if it was Darren reading it and not myself, but me, Dana and Hunter are still cool as fuck. By the way, I gotta, I gotta talk about the swearing a little bit. I read the comments every now and again. Right. And in terms of, uh, whoever it is out there that has a 70 year old that, um, that considers me a role model to whatever degree. I really appreciate that. I am going to try to cuss a little bit less. It is hard for me, right? Because this is the platform on which I really get to be myself. And Kenny knows I grew up in, in the Northeast and, uh, you know, we, you know, we have foul mouths if you want to call it that, you know, I cuss in front of my children and it's up to them to not go to school and cuss. And that's really the way I feel about it, you know? So I am going to try to scale it back a little bit. Uh, but I can't promise that, uh, This show is not going to be explicit, right? Like there are plenty of words that you will never hear me say, right? Brendan Allen actually uttered one of them during that interview, right? Right. Um, But, you know, F-U-C-K just so happens to be one of my favorite words of all time. And uh, I can't just omit it from my vocabulary overnight.
1: Right. And and it's the same thing. Like if they are watching MMA, you could argue, Hey, well, what are you doing? Having your kids who are very young watching MMA, for example, like there there's people, I'm not saying that's the sure. case, but there's sure. people who would have an issue with that, right? Yeah. Like, hey, kids should be watching. So everyone has a different perspective yeah. on how you raise your kids. What yeah. do you allow them to see here? All that stuff. So again, um,
0: But in terms of cannabis and cussing, I will cut it back because I never necessarily fancied myself a role model to anyone other than my three children. If I'm being honest, you know, and man, do I love to cuss. I tell you (laughs) what's happening, everyone. Me, Dana and Hunter are still cool as fuck till wrote referencing UFC executives, Dana White and Hunter Campbell. I asked UFC to remove me just to sort some other stuff for the foreseeable. They happily agreed to release me out of the contract, which I appreciate. I'm not going anywhere. Got big plans to execute, and I'll be back. So Darren Till, 30 years old, one win since 2018, a split decision win over Kelvin Gastelum. He was 17-0-1 when he fought Tyron Woodley for the title back in 2018. Has fallen on some hard times, and uh, we'll see where the affable and likable Darren Till goes from here.
1: That was interesting. You know, reading that this morning, I I was a little surprised. However, um, I I don't think this is a bad decision. Um, I I don't know what's going on in his life personally. Uh, Maybe Perhaps that is what he's alluding to. Uh, Maybe it's another opportunity or whatever. Um, But I think, you know, he's still young. Uh, And he still has so much potential. I I think that some of his decision making, um, you know, some of the the techniques and the way that he's presenting his style right now uh, perhaps isn't up to par what I think a lot of us. Uh, think about Darren Till and what we thought he would be in the sport. So sometimes taking time off, stepping away from the sport, reassessing, doing all these things uh, can really help a fighter or a professional athlete. And and I hope that it does the same for Darren Till, who is uh, always entertaining in and out of the cage.
0: All right, so I'm out here for UFC 285. I have the fighter meetings here on Thursday morning. I'm coming to you early on Wednesday, so this episode probably ingested by many of you on Wednesday and. A huge part of the narrative leading up to this fight is the suggestion made by Sieal Gan himself that he isn't necessarily a gym rat t- training 24 seven 365 and yep. Fernand Lopez, I think has had some comments about this that Gan has turned a corner that maybe he used to be that way, but mm-hmm. whatever, there is part of this in Siedel Part of this existed in Siealgan at some point in his mixed martial arts career. So I'm watching UFC embedded and I have this quote, from John Jones, Kenny, and he says Cielogon is just here right now. His words let me do, let me know he doesn't believe he'll be here for a long time, and I'm not losing to a guy like that. And John Jones has been very frontal when it comes to talking about Cielogon's training, right, and how clean the gym room looks, right? How clean his clothes look, maybe how relatively small his wrestling training partners look. So, I'm going to bring that quote to Ceadelgon in the fighter meeting and I'm curious what he's going to say about it. Um, do you have anything for us on what is obviously the lead narrative right now for the undisputed UFC heavyweight title fight coming up this week?
1: Uh, oh man, I am so glad you brought this up and I am so glad that I watched those embeds last night as I was uh, you know, surfing YouTube. Um, First of all, brilliant stuff from John right. Jones. I mean, right. His ability to analyze and look into things and and also poke at, at his opponent, I, I think is just amazing stuff. Um, I also think that I saw a certain venom and a certain um, fire within John Jones that I haven't seen in a very long time. Um the, the big problem with this is if you are doing that, let's say you're, you're you're only training when you have fights, or maybe you're not training all the time. Um, it, it says a couple things. Either you're you're a phenomenal athlete, that's one. Uh, or number two, um, that uh, th- th- you can pick things up that quickly, right, because you're such an athlete. Or number two, that maybe your heart isn't in it as much as as you think it is. Um, John Jones, in, in contrast. Um, I think over the last few years has matured to the point where he was training, whether he had a fight or not, he is trying to get better and hearing the words come out of his mouth, saying that I owe it to everyone else who can't do this, who doesn't have the talent that I have. Was great to hear because I think a lot of people feel that way. Uh, so, uh, again, I, I I think and I hope that this is a different John Jones. And uh, if so, I think it's going to be a phenomenal fight. Uh, either way, Gone is dangerous, but hearing that out of Jones, man, was awesome. I I got so fired up. Oh, I had chills listening to this. I can't wait for this weekend's car, dude. It's sick. I'm telling you, I'm going to
0: shake John Jones's hand and be as starstruck as ever. There's just <laughs> about him as professional athlete. And speaking of guys, and this is a dear friend of the program, but a guy who I still get a little bit starstruck around <laughs> the most decorated finisher in UFC Bantamweight history, the number four ranked contender, Marlon Chito Vera. Good morning, my friend. We appreciate your time very much, sir. Anytime guys. How are you guys? Good. Oh, we're better now, man. You're looking very handsome. So, uh, so what are we doing with the hair for Saturday, March 25th? Are we growing out the lettuce right now or what?
3: I don't know, man. I'm 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 a very last-minute person in terms <clears throat> of the way I look. So I could either get a fade on five week, I could shape it the night before, or I could just go the way I just I wake up today before sparring. So I just don't know. I really go by feeling. Sometimes, believe it or not. I open my IG and I see you getting a fresh. Oh, I say, you know, I'm Doing it today? I, I go like that. <laughs> I mean, Don's entering five weeks, and you have a fade. I, I I I fought with. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna get that. I'm very easy going. I'm like, you know, monkey see, monkey do. I don't. <laughs> mean. Well, uh, I, just, I just keep my eyes open.
0: Well, we see, look forward to whatever.
3: It's time I let it grow too.
0: Well, we look forward to whatever the look is, and uh, it seems like there was a, a great motivation from the UFC to get this fight in front of a crowd, right? This main event between you and Corey Sanhagen, Saturday, March 25th, if you don't know, San Antonio, Texas, AT&T Center, capacity crowd, probably 22 25,000. Like, when this main event was announced, it was met with such fan enthusiasm, but it immediately was also met with this noise like these guys can't be competing at the UFC apex. So how did that all go down with sort of the five week delay? And what were your thoughts on all of that?
2: Um,
3: to me it was, I can care less where I'm fighting. Right. You know, right. if if the paycheck is right, if the body's going to get my title shot, I can fight in my, in my garage in the street. <laughs> so when they call me, they call me two weeks out, which is, it's pretty fucked up right um but it is what it is right you it gotta handle it at the end of the day if you're gonna win the 18 you're gonna win the 25th you're gonna lose it's gonna be either way so to me i'm not a, I, I don't get sensible in a way like i will freak out or stress i'm like you know what you know i just ask for a little a little motivation and, and here we are you know we change the day then you know more time more reps um uh, and you know, I was ready to fight 18. I'm not going to lie about it. I, for a minute, I was like, can we just keep today? The and then they told me, like, hey, this is like, I kind of felt they need that the, the move, right? So why why say fuck you when I can give them what they want and then later get what I want? So, you know, just just, just play the game. And when you're ready, you're ready. It doesn't really matter. The day, the arena, who's watching, I'm just ready to go.
1: Cheeto, uh, maybe I haven't been paying attention, but I feel like um, you know you're you're one of the most real fighters out there. Like you're not afraid to say what's on your mind. Uh, but I, I do feel like there was a shift at a certain point where you're like, I'm just gonna say whatever I want and do whatever I want. And you know, like when did that shift happen and and why did it happen? You think?
3: I feel I always had this attitude of of a go getter of a guy that you know, he was, you know, a straight shooter. But you know, at some point, um, I I would say this because my experience was very small at the beginning. Like fighting in South America, I didn't really fight the big shows. Didn't really fight uh, you know, I fought a bunch of guys from Brazil, a bunch of guys from around the world. But I never get that 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 big competition. Never get to to build a record. Kind of like get amateur fights. So I made it to the UFC with six and one. Right. So my first ten fights. I was on fear I'm gonna get fired, I'm gonna get caught because i was I was so small that I you know I keep it real, I always keep it real sure. I mean, back then I was like I'm so small that I lose a fire by decision I'm gonna get caught, so yeah. you just don't know what's gonna happen at that level because I, you know you're assuming on a pool that there's like forty guys trying to break it to the top thirty, and I wasn't even able to break it at the beginning but Going back to what you asked is because, you know, you live with fear. You're like, you know, fuck, if I say this, they might not like this. If I say fuck you, they might not like this. If I go, this, they might, you know, you just, you just don't have the experience. And a little by little, I started kind of like telling myself, like, you know what, you're not a kid anymore. You know, I'm not this guy that makes UFC debut at 21, year old and it's cute and everybody feels sorry for you because you're fighting for your daughter. And I, at one point I was like, you know what, fuck the world. I don't owe nothing to nobody. I'm going to be myself, carry myself, and, you know, just I worked too hard to kind of, like, be shy. So I, I went, you know what? Fuck everybody. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love my people, work for my people, and whoever is with me, cool. Whoever is with, against me, cool too. So I'm just going to go forward. And all that, the moment I started working with Perillo, uh, he really bugged me to the next level mentally, physically, he just, he was he, in my career. That's the, he's the best thing that probably ever happened to me.
1: Yeah. I love it, man. I could see it. I, I wanted to ask you one more thing, man. Was there a fight that, that you go back or an experience that you had over the course of your UFC career that um, changed you, that kind of uh, made you feel like, Hey, I could be one of the best bantamweights in the world. I could be a champion uh, in this division. Uh, it was, uh, was there a fight that kind of changed that?
3: The Jose Aldo fight really gave me nightmares for months. I, I, I would wake up in the middle of the night pissed off at myself. Just just saying like, just really kind of like sad, upset, kind of like just, just bum about it because, you know, from, from, from the TV, it seems like the guy took my back and hauled me, right? But like I was in there. Like I was in the cage with the guy. And I saw how broken he was at the end of the second round. He was hurt. And in the third round, I came too cocky, too quick, too fast. And he just, he just really, he just took advantage of my mistake because in that third round, I would literally, Parillo was telling me like, hey, stay calm. Keep doing your thing just little by little because he saw me how pumped I was and just like, fuck, man, I'm, I, I, don't, I don't need anything. I'm good. I'm going to kill this guy. And I just went anybody who can go and watch it back. I literally went and just throw a haymaker who spin around. He took my back. And when I could explode and get out of the position, I was just like, oh, I'm gonna fucking kill this guy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get out of here. I'm gonna because I felt his energy. He was he was drained, but that doesn't mean they can fight back. So that lesson was the best thing that ever happened to me because that happened and That was literally the fight that would put me in the top 10 and would put me in the position I was maybe after the phone fight. By losing that fight, I literally went back fully back to the letter. They give me a guy outside the top 15, which was a rematch with David Grant. They literally, hey, dude, you missed your opportunity. Fuck you. Now go and do it again. And that was really what happened. And I was pissed and I was mad, but at myself, I never blame it on a coach on a person, on a family member, like any... I, I used see it today, everybody have an excuse for everything. Oh, my mom didn't treat me well and I felt bad on fire Come, Oh, my wife left me. Oh, my uncle didn't talk to me. I like to take um, things by the handle and just carry everything by me. I lost that fight on myself. I make the mistakes. Now let's make the adjustments. And the adjustment was just train harder, don't cry like a little bitch and let it go. Uh, really, I don't hold to that fight. I didn't I didn't lose to him and started talking shit to him for three months. I just let it go. It's like, cool, dude, you beat me. If we have to fight again, I swear to God, I'm gonna kill you. But that's gonna uh, So just let it go.
0: UFC Bantamweight contender Marlon Shito Vera with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. So You're very good at mentally sort of just focusing on the things that you can control. But when we speak, it seems like I'm in more rush for you to I'm in more of a rush for you to fight for the title than you are. Right. And part of that's because you're not worried about the things that maybe you can't control. You talk about maybe the Jose Aldo fight getting away. The Song Yadong fight in 2020 that you should have won. You know, who knows? You might have already fought for the title by now. So. Do you feel like there's any blessing within all of this that now at 30 years old you're on the cusp, you're one win away, and and now maybe it's happening at a better time given the alignment with Perillo and everything else?
3: I I I really I I have this conversation with Perillo many times, right? And you know the Sonya don't fight. That's the one that I don't really kind of like bring it too much. is just because how the entire war w- went against. That i went like, hey, fuck the guy you won, fuck the UFC you won, and I was just like, yeah, sh- I know that. Cool, it's not the UFC problem, it's not my opponent problem. It's just it was bad judgment. Who knows, right? We can really, I can get conspiracy theory right now, but who knows, right? I just want to believe the judges fucked up that night, and um, yeah, that's true. The, I, I could be fighting for the belt already, but also when all when all those two fights happen. I wasn't full time with Perillo. I, I hadn't built this relationship with him, and I just want to believe I, I I wasn't ready for 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 handle bigger stage. You know, people can say whatever they want. You can only know once you get there, and not many people get there. You know, the people that hold belts, you can only count them with with, with you know with a pair of hands. So it's not like everybody's a champion. Might as well, if I'm going to get there, get there with all my guns ready to go. And I feel like now is the moment, and, you know, and as is now, if you ask me about the belt, I don't give a fuck about right, the belt. Right, right, right. I'm fighting Corey and Hagen. The guy does not have the belt. But I got to go through that guy to get there. So I just feel I put all my energy into fucking drilling a hole through his face, and then I'm sure the UFC will give me a belt. And if right. they... I just have to do the same thing to another guy
0: I think I get frustrated at times as your fan because you have everything right I think you're the total package right you move all the needles right check all the proverbial boxes oh and by the way most decorated finisher in UFC Bantamweight history I know better though than to ask you about Henry Cejudo cutting the line because I know largely you don't give a shit Um, let me ask you this in terms of your public approval rating right Kenny talks about how real and relatable you are I know everybody has haters. Every public figure does, but I'd imagine there's an overwhelmingly there's much more love for you out there than hate. Is there not? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: I think, I, and I, I believe that's because the way I care myself. You know, uh, people, you really touch people's hearts. Either if they like you or they don't. If you use. Say the truth, right? If you keep it pretty honest, even if they might didn't like it at the beginning because they're, they're more of a fan of your opponent of somebody else, they will realize. Because I know myself, if I let's see a former opponent or somebody I don't like, and they say the right thing or they say something that impact me, even if I'm like, fuck that guy, I want to kick his ass. I'm like, you know what? What you just say, I like it. I, I respect that as a man. And I feel the... That's what's gonna give me more longevity on people's minds. It's gonna give me more life on people's heart just because people will forget about who you beat. Like let's just go a couple years ago. Who thinks about Anderson Silva? Nobody thinks about Anderson Silva. I do because I'm a big MMA fan. But if you go and see how many lives he impact, who he got to his heart, it's more probably more. I don't know him personally, but what I'm trying to say is like people forget what happened on Saturday night. It's what you do outside the cage, yeah. how, how, you, how you carry yourself. It's going to last longer. It's going to give you more at the end, right? Bells will come and go. Money will come and go. But the fact that everybody fucked with you and all the, all the doors are open, you're going to be good the rest of your life.
0: Yeah. I want to be respectful of your time. I have a few quick questions on the way out. How often do you go back to Ecuador? And when was the last time you went? And do you have any future plans to get back there?
3: Um, I was supposed to go back, uh, last year, uh, because my visa was, uh, my green card ha- Having I haven't got my green card yet. I was able to go back. Now the green card is approved. Now I have like a little credential that I can go anywhere. So I will probably go after this fight. Last time I went, it was after the fun fight and it was a really nice trip. Like I never see that much love in my life. It was yeah. on some- it, it was crazy. I, 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 I realized like, well, okay, now I figured it out. Next time I come here, I, I can come by myself. Like I was with my coach, with my friends, with, with, with two of my best friends that they filmed for me. But I need like, real, big guys to you help. The detail around you the detail town. Now. Yeah.
0: it's amazing, man.
3: It, it was, I was, I was a stalker, but I was like, I couldn't
1: believe I become that. I was, I, I was amazed by it. I I was in Orlando uh, last week and uh, we had an Uber driver who was from Ecuador and he was saying how we have Marlon Chito Vera now so we're very excited and he <laughs> just kept talking about you man it was it was cool it was cool that,
3: yeah it's great yeah. it's, it's crazy to go from a guy that was getting in trouble every <laughs> week when I was a kid going to jail for a street fight and now they love me. It, it's crazy to me to realize that. And to me, when you really appreciate that, it just keeps coming more and more to you. So yeah. that's one thing I always talk to coaches. is Everybody gets to a certain point in life, but it's how you handle it, right? And then if you handle it right, you just keep getting it more and more and more. So I'm just really excited about
0: my near future because I see really, really good things coming my way. All right, two more quick ones. Fact or fiction, Cheeto Vera will take a fight at featherweight before his UFC career is over. Oh, 100%. Okay. And then I just want to ask you about the Spanish television commentary. I know I hope someday we can actually do commentary in English, at least join us for a few fights. But to what degree has that helped you in terms of your fighting career, uh, either watching film or preparing? Because a lot of fighters lean heavily into that. They say it helps a lot. Has that helped you in your fighting career?
3: Honestly, I I don't know for sure if that makes me a better fighter, but I just really, really enjoy doing commentary. Like, yeah. it's, for me, doing commentary is like going to serve. Uh, even if I'm watching a fight, it takes my mind away from me being a fighter and I'm doing something cool outside the box. And I'm literally, what I like the most is being in there, and feel the energy, life, because you can you can see how the how the momentum of the fight can shift literally from one punch to another. You can be kicking somebody's ass, and then there's just one kick, and your opponent goes like, "Oh fuck the hurt," and they they become a shield of themselves, and they let it go. That just helped me to feel this
1: late. Like everybody gets hurt. That's it's a, a different part. perspective, right? Being there, it, but like watching someone else, yeah. It's
3: almost like it's almost like like you are in there getting repetitions mentally for that. So I'm like, totally, man. We can lose, okay. We all can lose, but some people don't think like that. Some people feel that they're untouchable. Yeah, no, untouchable. Yeah. Nobody. You clip somebody in the face. You you bring some energy, and they will go. Like, you know what? I don't want to do that. And they will <laughs> okay. give. They yeah. will give up.
0: Saturday, March twenty-fifth. That's the man on the marquee, Marlon Vera against Corey Sanhagen, San Antonio, Texas. Appreciate your time, my man, sincerely. And uh you know you're always gonna have big fans in us, and we look forward to seeing uh the title fight thereafter, but we look forward to watching March twenty-five, brother.
3: Thank you guys. Appreciate you both, and thanks for having me. Much love, work, brother.
0: Hey. There he is. <clears throat> Marlon Chito Vera with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. And y'all know I'm a UFC guy through and through. Kind of wish actually I could bet on the fights, but I can't. So for me, a few things more exciting right now, recreationally than having NBA action on the board. And you can be a part of it this weekend with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official betting partner of the NBA. Tap into all of the excitement with one click of a button. And new customers right now can place $5 on any pregame money line bet. Get $150 in bonus bets. If your team wins, also for a limited time, all customers can score a no sweat same game parlay every day you go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app opt in place a same game parlay on any NBA game and if it doesn't hit you get a bonus bet back really a risk-free proposition and Wednesday night here's what I'm on big payout plus 1100 so don't grill me in the comments right but Cavaliers at the Celtics plus 1100 you need all three legs to come in Cavs plus four and a half I think it's going to be a close game and then over 30 points five assists and five rebounds for Donovan Mitchell of course if the hardwood is not your thing not a problem plenty of ways for you to get involved with UFC 285 coming up this weekend so download the app now sign up with the code AFpod new customers can place $5 on any pregame money line bet and get $150 in bonus bets if your team wins only at DraftKings sportsbook with code AFpod minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply see show notes for details all right great stuff today from Brendan Allen and just there from uh from Marlon Chito Vera what an absolute stud Sliding into Ken Flo's DMs back in the day, trying to figure out how to loosen up those elbows. What a stud, huh?
1: Dude, it's awesome. First of all, just awesome talking to uh, those two gentlemen. Uh, Chino's the man, dude. Uh, He really is. He's a fighter, but he's also a martial artist. And you see the improvements that he's made, man, over the course of his career. It's crazy seeing him really come out in in every way shape or form you know he's very outspoken love watching him fight that fight against Sanhagen is just gold dude those are two of the best right now love watching those guys insane amount of skill going at it that night and uh can't wait but this weekend man nuts
0: yeah and it is a title eliminator between Marlon Vera and Corey Sanhagen now Henry Cejudo as a two division champion is going to get opportunities right and he's getting an opportunity to cut the line here You know, I think you can argue Aljamain Sterling is the worst matchup for Sean O'Malley. And if you think O'Malley makes you the most money as champion, you know, a lot of people feel like the Aljo fight would be better for him to avoid than the Cejudo fight, depending on where you fall on that. Who knows? But I've talked to Jason House. Marlon Chido Vera beats Corey Sandhagen. He's going to sit down and wait for his championship opportunity. And that's what you got to do. So, uh. We will see how it all plays out. But a big one coming up, needless to say, on March 25th. All right. Last thing before we get you out of here, Ken Flo. I know you got PFL Challenger Series coming up this weekend in Orlando, Florida. Um, by the way, I really enjoy your, uh, your female uh, ring announcer. What's her name?
1: Uh, Lillian Garcia.
0: Out fucking standing. She's
1: not with us anymore. <laughs> no, I mean, I say Brendan out. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> hey, you're two for two, dude. You got, now? <laughs> you got a guy now? You got a guy now? You got a guy? We're not sure yet. There's a – so I'm like, hey, Brendan Allen, welcome home to your wife. He's like, yeah. we're not together. I'm like,
0: hey, Lillian's awesome. Well, actually, she's not with PFL anymore. Awesome. Great. Um, all right. Last thought, UFC 285 before I let you go. So <laughs> when I suggest to people that I think that Alexa Grosso has a chance this weekend and she – is live to whatever degree as underdog. I'm getting some strange looks, and it seems to me like the prevailing wisdom is that if Valentina wins or loses, I should say, to any fighter, it's going to be that maybe she gets a little bit overwhelmed on the ground. We've heard Aaron Blanchfield talk about how maybe her approach on the ground is a little bit minimalistic or simple, Uh How do you handicap Alexa Grasso's chances? Because, uh, I don't know, maybe I got rose-colored glasses, but I think we might get a competitive co-main event
1: this week. You know, I alluded to it a little bit on our last podcast, and the more I think it, the more I was thinking about it, the more I thought that Grasso legitimately has a chance. I still do. Listen, there is no fighter out there that is perfect, okay? Uh, Shevchenko has her vulnerabilities. There are ways to beat her. Um, does Grasso possess the skills to do it? Yeah, I, I think she does in a lot of ways. You know, Chevchenko's not the most technical grappler or most, you know, sophisticated grappler in the world, and, and Grasso has been improving in that regard a lot. Um, I also think Grasso's hands are something to, to, to be aware of. You you can't sleep on those at all. She's very fast, she knows how to put together combinations, she's getting much better angles right now. Um, and I think again, the, the improvements she's made as a grappler is significant. I think where Shevchenko has a huge, um, you know, advantages in the experience, right? The experience in those five-round fights. But uh, Grasso has skills to really pose a problem for Shevchenko. I I do believe that. Well, we'll see how it all plays out. UFC 285
0: beckons Saturday night live on pay-per-view. Thank you all for checking out the show this week audio video or otherwise don't forget Kenny Florian com is live if uh if you like grappling if you like jujitsu i strongly recommend clicking on that site uh Florian podcastcom for all of your show merchandise needs we also have special designs one more sleep for march 4th and ufc 285 as the goat returns i'm not doing a great job on the video side but uh the GOAT-themed One More Sleep yeah. merchandise is now live. Millions.co if you want to get in on that. And we will be back with you actually probably midday Monday with a full recap of UFC 285. Thank you to our wonderful guests today, Brendan Allen, Marlon O Vera, our producers, Cody Merrill for Ken Flom, John Anik, signing off from Vegas. See you Saturday night live on Pay-Per-View Yoda. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.